In the reading that Corey did for us just a few moments ago, I want you to notice something that's found there in that text. It talks to several different groups of people. It talks about the aged men. It talks about the aged women, the young women, the young men. But there's a word that's mentioned several times in that text. Important for all of those who are named to be sober. Do you see it there? The aged men should be sober. The young women should be sober. And the young men should be sober. This is obviously something that's really important. If you're reading, this is the King James Version that uses the word sober. And of course, in our day and time, that word has come to mean exclusively not drunk. In other words, he's not drunk on alcohol. That's not the meaning of the word here exclusively. It would include that. But the word here, if you're reading another version, would be translated probably with the word temperate or self-controlled or self-disciplined. That's the idea of the sobriety that is being encouraged here, actually commanded of us in this important passage. I think it's real clear that this is an important trait for all Christians. It's definitely necessary that we be a self-controlled or a self-disciplined kind of people. But that brings up the big question. It's clearly necessary to be self-disciplined, but how do I develop that? If as a Christian I want to be what God wants me to be, I need to develop a a strong sense of self-discipline. And the question is, how do I get that? How do I develop self-discipline? And so that's what we want to talk about in our lesson this evening. Some some real positive steps that we can take that will help us be the sober-minded, temperate, self-controlled, self-disciplined kind of person that God desires us to be. I hope that the study will be helpful. We'll say some things that will be an encouragement uh, and that each of us can work harder in this important area. Thanks for being here this evening. It's been a beautiful Lord's Day. We've been blessed tremendously and we're blessed even now to be able to come back together again for a period of worship. Uh, we, We appreciate you for having interest in this and a commitment to what we're doing here on Sunday evenings. Uh, I always say that I appreciate the Sunday night crowd because I think it demonstrates those who have great uh, love and devotion to the Lord, and we appreciate you for that. We draw great encouragement from you for that reason. We have visitors tonight, as we frequently do, and we're very glad for our visitors. We want you to come back every time you have a chance to be here. We appreciate you and your presence. As always, study along with us. Make sure we're using the Word of God accurately. If there's any question or even any disagreement, say so, so we can work that out. It's very important for us to rightly understand and rightly apply the Word of God. Let's talk about how to develop self-discipline. It's very important, obviously. How are we going to do it? Well, first, we need to begin with an I can sort of attitude. Uh, since God expects me to control myself, to be self-disciplined, then I believe it's obvious that it's possible for me to do so. Sometimes you hear people uh, argue that, well, I, I just can't help myself, or that's just the way I am. I'm sorry, that's just the way I am. I can't do anything about it. Those are obviously flawed statements. They are not true. If God commands self-discipline and self-control, then it's obvious that we can control ourselves. We can say no to temptation. We can say no to wrong attitudes and and wrong actions. Uh, We can, for instance, bridle our tongue and not speak out of turn. We can quit doing what's wrong. We can do without. We can break a bad habit. 
again, for those who say, I can't, I can't help it, no, that's wrong. It's simply wrong. You've got to begin with an I can. If God told me to, it's obvious I can, and I need to get busy doing it. The Apostle Paul used an expression in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You know, the all things, as is frequently the case, in the, is modified by the context in which Paul made that statement. Uh, in that statement, Paul is saying that he could do all things that God willed for him to do. Paul was capable of doing whatever God wanted him to do, and he could do those things through Christ. It wasn't an unlimited expression, but in regards to the things that God wanted him to do, Paul says, I can do all those things. And so can we, and we need to develop that attitude. Uh, we, we suggested it means not doing things I shouldn't do, not talking or acting in ways that God doesn't want me to do, but it also means making myself do the things that I know I should be doing. In James chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth not, to him it is sin. So there's, there's these things I need to keep away from, and I can and there's this, these things I need to positively be doing, and I can. And we need to develop that attitude. Whatever it is that God wants me to do, stay away from some things, get involved in other things. Whatever God's will is, I can do it, and I need to understand that I have that capacity. Uh, we need to have the attitude expressed in Romans 6, verse 3. The Hebrew writer had been talking about the idea of growing to spiritual maturity, developing and becoming more godly uh, in life, and he concludes with this expression, and this we will do, if God permit. Uh, that we will do, I can attitude, is what we're, what, what we're stressing here. So for all of us, when it comes to the will of God, there's, for every accountable person, we need to understand there's no excuse. This excuse, I can't or I can't help myself, doesn't work. You can and you must. And you need to understand that, and you need to develop that attitude about it. It's doable. I just got to get busy. God will help me do it. Now, in addition to that, we need to refuse to dwell on what we need to deny. There's some things we've got to stay away from. And therefore, we, have not, we cannot allow ourselves to dwell on what we don't need and or what we can't have. Spending time thinking uh, about what we'd like to do or what we'd like to say or how we'd like to act, knowing all along that that's not permitted, that God won't allow it, is, is absolutely a, a, a hurtful, dangerous, and wrong thing to do. Don't dwell on what you know you can't do. Uh, uh, some ungodly thoughts, some things that we might think about or even fantasize about, if we allow our if we allow it to be so, those thoughts can sort of set up camp in our mind. Uh, and the problem is, if we allow these thoughts to dwell in our mind, they will produce the forbidden action that we're trying to avoid. So don't dwell on, don't think about what you're not supposed to be doing. This is sort of like uh, the idea of window shopping. Why, why do stores put displays up showing various things? Because they want, they want to get you to look at that and see it and think about it. Oh, I'd like to have that. And then you pass by it again and you say, oh, there that is again. That, I've been thinking about that. I'd like to have it. They know that as they m merchandise their things in that fashion, if they can keep you thinking about it, they probably can get you to eventually buy it. 
Thoughts precede actions. You think about a thing long enough, you'll finally do it. And that's what we're talking about here. Refuse to allow yourself to, to dwell on those things that are wrong that you shouldn't be doing. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, Jesus said, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Think about that for a minute. Notice that he says, Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, and then the evil actions of murders, adultery, fornication, thefts, and so forth. So a fellow commits murder. You think he didn't think about that first? No, he, he thought about it. He planned it. He went out and committed the murder. What about fornication? You think a, 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 a fellow just without thinking suddenly commits fornication? No, typically that's planned. He thought about it. He anticipated, he considered it, and finally acted upon the thoughts that were in his heart. And so Jesus is very clearly saying, you think about something, and then you end up doing that something. And in regards to the things that are forbidden, you could short-circuit that if you refuse to let yourself think about it. Understand that? So important. We have the example of King David, a very familiar story of David with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11. Remember, it came to pass, beginning verse 2, that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. You know, David could have stopped that whole thing from going on if when he first saw Bathsheba, he had turned away and refused to let himself think about that. Think about what he'd seen. But instead of refusing to think about what he'd seen, he sent men to inquire as to who she was and what the situation was. And then beyond that, he sent for her. He could have stopped that if he had refused to dwell upon what was forbidden. But he didn't. And of course, David, a great man of God that he was, unfortunately, one of the most remembered incidents of his entire life was this shameful event with Bathsheba. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Notice, we're supposed to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. There's that word soberly again. We should live a self-controlled, righteous, godly life. If we're going to do that, notice it says you've got to deny the ungodliness and worldly lust. You've got to control what you're thinking so that you control how you're living. And that's what we're stressing here. Refuse to allow yourself to dwell on the kind of things that you know aren't allowed, that you must deny. Don't let yourself think about things that you shouldn't be doing. Another thing along the same lines is give some thought before you act. Think about what's going to happen if you do this or that. You know, that's just a pretty common sense approach to almost anything that we're doing, especially if you're in a dangerous situation. You've got to stop and think before you act. Lee over here is an electrician, and, and I've seen him, and I know he does it on a regular basis, but I haven't had occasion to see him reach into an electrical box where there are hot wires. It's a dangerous job. It's a dangerous situation. And before you do that, you've got to think, what's going to happen if I touch that right there? What's going to happen if I stick my screwdriver on that right there? You stop and think before you act, because it's dangerous. You could get really hurt. Well, that's the principle that we're trying to stress here about spiritual things. Stop and think. 
Where, where's this going to lead? What's going to happen? If I do this, what will happen next? Where will this go? What will happen? Certainly, it's an important principle that we need to apply in our spiritual lives. Another Old Testament example that we draw strength from is that of Joseph in Genesis 39. You remember he had been sold by his brothers into slavery, ended up in Egypt. He was in Potiphar's house. He was a slave in Potiphar's house. And it says in Genesis 39, verse 7, it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There's none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You remember those familiar verses. But what I want to just point out to you here is it, it's clear that Joseph thought about the consequences of, of the action that she was suggesting. Now, I don't know whether he had anticipated that or whether he thought about it on the spot, but it's clear that he was thinking where this would lead, what would happen. He speaks about his loyalty to his master Potiphar, but he also speaks about his commitment to, and duty to God of heaven and doing what she said to do, just think about it even instantaneously. You can realize this is full of bad consequences. You don't want to go there. And Joseph was smart enough to think about that. He thought about the end from the beginning. He thought about the consequences and where it would lead. And it kept him from sinning. That's what we need to do. Think about it. We're trying to develop self-discipline. Think about where your actions will lead. In Psalm 119, uh, at verse 59, it says, I thought on my ways and turned my feet into thy testimonies. Well, there's what you want to do. Turn your feet into the testimonies of the Lord. But what do you got to do? Think about what you're doing. The psalmist said, I thought on my ways and turned my feet into thy testimonies. Um, several questions, maybe, that we could ask. We're saying, think before you act. And it's not hard to come up with a checklist of questions that you might ask yourself as you're thinking about this before you act. Think about some questions that you could ask. Is this how God wants me to respond? Am I pursuing my own will and desires or am I pursuing the will of God? Will my actions show that I'm in control of myself? Because obviously that's what I'm supposed to do. Should I say this? Does it serve any good purpose if I say or do this? Uh, do I really need to do this or can I do without it? If I do this, will I be ashamed? If I do this, will I feel a sense of regret later on? Would I want other people, maybe including members of my family or my Christian brethren, would I want others to know that I have done this? Uh, that's just a quick list of questions that you could ask in this category of thinking before you act. It's not too hard to come up with a pretty good checklist of things that you could ask yourself that would help keep you from doing what you shouldn't do. I think that's really helpful in this very important matter of developing self-discipline. I believe also that we need to think about and try to look for God's avenues for fulfilling desires. We shouldn't have to point out, I think you'd know it, but we'll just stress it anyway, that 
having certain desires is not wrong, and even being tempted is not in and of itself wrong. You remember the statement in Hebrews 4.15 about Jesus. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus was tempted, but he didn't sin. So to have desire, to even be tempted, is not sinful, but we've got to control that. We've got to realize that God has a proper way for us to fulfill legitimate desires. I've got to stress that. God has a proper way for us to fulfill legitimate desires. Now, there are illegitimate desires. There are things we should never want. But in regards to the things that are legitimate to want and desire, God has a proper way for us to pursue those things. For instance, uh, we have a desire to eat. We need food, and there's a desire for that. Well, that's not a wrong desire. And there's a proper way to satisfy that desire. Second Thessalonians 3, verse 10 says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So here's a simple example. I have a desire for food, to eat. Well, how do I satisfy that desire? I could go out and steal food, right? But that's not, that's not the proper way to fulfill that desire. It's a real desire. And God has given me an avenue whereby I can satisfy that desire. Let me go out and work. Uh, and, and then when I work, I'll have the capacity to get what I need to eat. And so that's a real simple example of how God gives proper means and methods to fulfill legitimate desires. On a more practical level, I mean, that one's so obvious, but on a more practical level, we could talk about the desire for intimacy and sexual fulfillment. That's not a wrong desire in and of itself. God has given, though, a proper means uh, to fulfill it. Uh, marriage, Hebrews 13.4, marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Notice the Hebrew writer has mentioned there's a wrong way to satisfy that desire when he mentions whoremongers and adulterers. Those are those who, who are pursuing to fulfill that desire in a wrong way. But marriage is the honorable way that God has given for those desires and needs to be fulfilled. We could multiply the examples of that but I just point out to you here that if you're trying to develop self-discipline in regards to the, to the legitimate desires one might have, God has given proper means to satisfy them. Look for those means and it will be right. Furthermore, if you're going to be a self-disciplined kind of individual, you have to view yourself as a steward. Now, I think this is probably an area where all of us can improve and do better in recognizing that God has blessed us with a tremendous number of things. He's, he, he certainly has uh, given us life itself, but in addition to that, we have money, uh, we have time, we have abilities. We live in a very blessed uh, point in history. We have abundance of most things. These things are just entrusted to us for a time, and we need to view ourselves as stewards of these and then use uh, our gifts that God has given to His honor and glory. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. If you were a master and you had entrusted your wealth to a servant, uh, then you're expecting that servant to use your resources properly with the idea that there'll be a time for, of accounting. It's all going to be called to... to in the end, for a final accounting. And, and we need to 
when it comes to the things that God has entrusted us with, we need to see it that way. We are stewards. We're going to be held accountable. In Romans chapter 14, verse 12, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. So uh, view yourself as a steward of what God has entrusted to you. This is just another way to stress what we so often talk about in regards to individual accountability. If there never was any accounting to be done in the future, we might do anything, right? But if we can keep in mind, at some point in the future, I'm going to answer to God for these decisions I've made and the things that I've allowed myself to do or not do, I'm going to give account to God. And we need to see ourselves as stewards preparing for that time of accountability. And let me suggest to you that we need to study, learn, and remember God's Word. If we're trying to develop self-discipline, a very important part of that is to incorporate God's Word deep within us. And let it be a constant lock on our thoughts and on our actions. We've talked before about this is the way that the Spirit influences us and dwells in us through our, our, our knowledge of the Word. As we find ourselves in various circumstances, if we have really taken that Word of God in, then it will influence us to make the right decisions in those critical moments. Uh, we really need to do that. I believe that's what Jesus did. We've often pointed out in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, Matthew, we won't read the whole passage, but in Matthew 4, beginning verse 1, Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And then just notice, three temptations and three answers that were effectively identical. After the first temptation, Jesus answered, it is written. After the second, he said, it's written again. After the third, Jesus said to them, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written. And, he went, and each time, Jesus quoted Scripture in response to the temptations that Satan was putting before him. Would you agree with me that Jesus was a perfectly self-disciplined individual? How did he do it? Right here, we have a great picture of how Jesus did that. By knowing what the will of God was, being totally familiar with even what God had revealed to mankind, Jesus was able to use the Word of God for strength to do the right thing in those moments of temptation. What's that tell us? That if we were like-minded, if we spent time knowing the Word of God really well, that when we got in those trying moments, when we're tempted to do what's wrong, we need to be self-disciplined. Uh, if we would remember the Word of God, if we'd taken the time to learn it well and we remember it in those critical moments, it will help us. Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Look at the outcome. There's the outcome that we want, right? That we might not sin against God. In this familiar verse, what's the key to not sinning against God? Having God's word hid in our heart. If we will do that, uh, it will help us as well. And so there are six suggestions along the lines of what can I do in a very real and positive way, what can I do to develop self-discipline? Uh, you gotta, you got to realize that it's you can do it and have the attitude, I can do it. Don't think about what's forbidden. Don't allow yourself to dwell on those things. Think about the consequences. Think before you act. God has given lots of ways to fulfill legitimate desires. Look for those. View yourself as a steward who's going to give account finally and then really spend time imbibing the Word of God. Have it deep within you so that 
in those critical moments you can recall and know what God would have you to do. I hope you agree with me that this is really an important thing for us and, and, and an area in which we can all grow and develop. There are some Christians who are just really struggling with life, and they don't do well. It's because they have not developed a strong sense of self-discipline. They just can't make themselves get the job done. Uh, they're weak and struggling. They'd be, they would be personally so much happier, and their life would be so much better if they could take the steps to grow stronger and be more disciplined in the things that they do and say and think. I, I hope that our lesson tonight gives some really legitimate suggestions on concrete steps that each of us can take to become stronger and more disciplined in our lives. I hope it's helpful. What's your situation tonight? How do you stand with God? Are you a child of God? Have you become a Christian? If not, obviously that's the first and most important thing for you to consider. The gospel plan of salvation is not hard to understand. Hear the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus and be baptized for the remission of sins. If you're ready to make those steps, we're ready to assist you. We'd love to, and love to see it and we rejoice with you in your obedience to the gospel. If we can help, let us know. If you're a Christian already, but you've not been faithful, maybe you've not been demonstrating the kind of careful self-control that God wants you to have in your life, if you've fallen away, come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song. Come unto me.